0: Good morning, 7.05, this is um, Doc Scott's Revival Talk. I apologize for um, the revival prayer time being, um, I got on, things happened, and I don't know. So I I just got off and um, decided to come back at 7. You know, the Lord spoke an interesting word to me on the way in today, and that's oftentimes how this happens with me, because I never really have a clue whatsoever what I'm going to talk about. I have things that I'm reading and kind of soaking in and stuff and you know, we are the message. It is, you know, essentially the truth that's formed in you in you is the message that you carry because it's the truth that's been married to um, an encounter with Jesus. And so when those two things happen, when truth and encounter happen, like we've been talking about, um, then it becomes something that's married in my soul. It's it's there. It's, it's who we are. It becomes the very fabric of our being. Literally, our DNA changes. Um, anybody ever done any um, study stuff with um, Dr. Caroline Leaf, who's a brain, Christian brain person, right? She studies all the brain stuff. But basically what she did is she's uncovered how the brain, we used to think that, um, when we look at somebody like a, like a um, serial killer or something, we would say that their brain, right, is what's defective and that's what makes them do what they do. So we would blame it on their their, their uh, defect in their brain. And so that would kind of absolve people from responsibility on a level. And what she's what she uncovered in her research is is that essentially, our brain creates RNA strands when we are actually having a thought. So literally, because our brain is so, is very plastic and because it creates, one way I think about it is almost like creating a groove and an LP record, okay? So if you have these grooves that are, that are in my brain, the ways that I think, my habits, um, my sin habits, all of those things create things in my brain. We were made to be highly adaptable. And that's one of the reasons why our brain is always trying to make adaptations for us. In an information age, in an information overload age, um It's actually a little bit beyond what our brain is used to handling. Like it's not used to this constant bombard of information, bam, bam, bam. And that's, we've talked about that and how that relates to modern day um, pornography and the internet and how our brain was ever meant for that kind of stimulation. It's like overload. But every pattern in our life has, has been something that has been literally written into our brain. And that's why habits resurface. That's why we go through certain cyclical things because our brains have been literally rewired. And so what happens is, is that in any place that my brain is re- rewired or been wired to something, it could get unwired. And so what Dr. Caroline Leaf kind of you know brings out in a lot of her research, gives so much more credence to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because what she discovered is that essentially the renewing of my mind is something that literally, tangibly, physically happens. When my brain creates new pathways and new grooves begin. So let's say I have a I have this groove that goes through my brain, like it's an ingrained kind of pattern, and that every time I experience this stimulus, I get angry, or every time I encounter this over here, I have a certain response to it. That's because it's a patterned response, and my brain has has written it into the hard drive that way, and kind of just created that groove we could take that same thought process and break it down and begin to think something different. This is why, okay, this is why what we say with our mouth, I've said to people sometimes, sometimes I have to articulate something that's true, even if my heart isn't fully there yet, because in my articulating of something that is true, I am creating a new pathway even in my brain and I'm taking that old track and I'm literally because my brain is very plastic. I am creating a new track. So tangible, what does that mean? It means, um, if I were to take one of my most predominant negative thoughts of what I believe about myself, And I will begin to break that down and begin to declare something different. Find the scriptures that go, that, that actually convey the truth about who I am. Let's say that my belief is that I'm ultimately, most things lead me to the place that I'm worthless. Okay. So when I begin to rehearse and I begin to declare with my mouth the truth of who I am, I dismantle the lie. And we're familiar with dismantling the lie from the standpoint of, yeah, when we begin to declare truth and rehearse truth, it just changes, you know, our thinking on something, right? But what she does is takes it to a whole new level. She talks about how when we do that, we actually rewire our brain and we set something new in motion in our brain so that literally my thoughts change my DNA. I don't have this DNA, because that's what we do with serial killers and all this kind of stuff. We, we basically say um, it's a product of their DNA, their brain is defective, and that's why they go out and kill people. And that's why, and we apply that thinking to a lot of things, to trans everything, all of it. And so essentially, there's a big lie in there. And the lie is, is that my brain is telling me what I need to do. And because my brain is defective, I do what I do. When in reality, it's not my brain telling me what to think, it's my thinking telling my brain what to do. That literally, it's the thoughts themselves that transform my brain. And what Dr. Caroline Leaf uncovered in her research was, That that's not just a mental reality. It's a tangible physiological reality in that new DNA, RNA strands get actually created with my thoughts. So literally, I mean literally, literally, my thoughts can change my DNA in a place. This is beautiful news because it means I'm not constricted. And I'm not constricted to myself. I don't have to live out of the hell of myself forever because... Literally, when Jesus begins to do that kind of thing in me and he reconstructs my thinking, my, my brain changes to accommodate the new thinking. So that's actually pretty profound in what our body and our brain does. That literally, and it gives me a lot of hope because here's what's happened to a lot of our brains. Take it to the realm of religion. One of the biggest um, things that I feel like is pervasive in Christendom is we have very deeply embedded religious thought. And we have been trained, we've been trained to be law-oriented citizens, law-oriented. And so 99.8% plus of what we see in Christendom is a bunch of people who have been trained to follow the law. And no matter how we break it down, that's what we've been trained to. And so what happens is it makes faith and believing really, really challenging. And then when we go through really challenging times, I remember, um, you know, I talked a little bit about this period of about 10 years of my wife and I's life where we were decimated. I mean, I call it the perfect storm. Um, We were leveled. We lost everything. I mean, on multiple levels. It was a long extended period in our lives where we didn't want to hang out with Christians because most of them were very religious and they didn't have a grid for God messing, not God, rewind. They didn't have a grid that God would allow something like that to happen to a christians they didn't have a grid that a christian's life could be that messy in other words it was a tilt because whenever we see gross injustice we have this magical um christian thinking which is wrong that says oh wait a minute how many people here believe that once god was in the boat it was just smooth sailing right well no he never said we were exempt We are not exempt from the struggles of the world. We are not exempt from things happening. The issue of whether it's going to happen or not, whether stuff hits the fan or not, it's going to hit the fan. The only thing that changes who we are is how we respond when it does. And that's the part that Jesus is always working on. And so a lot of what happens in the places where we go through extended seasons of attack or the perfect storm, honestly, what's happening is my heart's being revealed. When you're in the cauldron, that's when you find out what you really believe. It's in the cauldron of the pressure around us, the pressure, the heat, and the fire, and the cauldron of life. When we are in those places, our heart speaks, and our heart speaks and tells us what we believe. So when I referenced that period of 10 years in my life, my wife and I's life, that was the perfect storm, you know, where um, literally a whole slew of things happened that took us out. What got revealed in that season was our heart. And what got dismantled completely was religion. Because even religion doesn't have room for that. Right? We look at people's lives who get like totally unhinged, and we don't know what to do with that because religion just wants to say, there's something wrong with you. The place that religion always goes is shame. Religion always attaches itself to shame. And it says, there's something wrong with you that all of that happened in your life, that your life went to hell in a handbasket. There's something wrong with you. So, Christians, right? cultural Christians who are basically the hard drive of their heart and their brain has been so um, formed to accommodate law and religion. They, they look at all of those things and they immediately judge. So we spent those years not wanting to be around Christians. I wanted to hang out with Christians. In fact, we enjoyed hanging out with what I would call God fearing Christians. Regular people who just had a desire to do the right thing. And we got more out of that than we did hanging around the church. But those periods of being in the cauldron expose two things. They expose what we believe about God and they show us how deeply ingrained we are in religion and not faith. And radically different things. So most of Christendom lives in this place where they, we are law-oriented creatures as opposed to spirit-oriented believers. And so in that period of time, one of the pervasive lies that I believed was that I was more offended with what God allowed to happen than I was what, it, what was actually happening, right? And so my brain literally changed. My thinking became normative. My thinking about doubting God, my thinking about who God was, my thinking about the way that I perceived God changed. The enemy wants to change your DNA. The enemy wants to rewire our brain. He wants to rewire our brain in such a way that the lies that we believe that are so connected to the shame, my shame is, you know, we all have toxic shame, right? The part of us that we believe is defective, something wrong with me. We get all of the things that happen in rejection, devastations, abuse, et cetera, abandonment. All of those things set the stage for shame, Okay. So the enemy, the enemy's lies are cemented into our soul in many places because they agree with what we already agree with about ourselves, And so that's why I said the cauldron will expose. When you get put into the fire, you're going to find out what's in you. And we find out what's in us. We find out how religious we are and we find out that we are literally toxic in so many ways, right? But it's the mercy of Jesus to reveal my heart. It's the mercy of heaven to do that. And so in the redemption picture, what Jesus does is he literally brings us through a place where our brains get changed. We become, we know the truth. And as we rehearse the truth and the truth of what we know in his word gets married to that encounter in him, we change and the way we think changes too. I remember, and after that season, when I was beginning to resurrect here in Brunswick, (laughs) the land of our resurrection, um, I remember going to Bethel um, Reading. And that culture, by the way, is permeated with the God of the impossible. And I remember coming back and, you know, this is after we've been through years of stuff because I honestly, I'll be really honest and vulnerable here. I got to the place in my own life where I believed that my God was the God of Bette Midler who watches at a distance, and he didn't care for me personally. I had been in ministry for years. I went through horrific things, and when I got remarried to the love of my life, we went through a nice, long, hellish period that was the perfect storm of the enemy to dismantle me. Well, here's what's beautiful about what God does. (laughs) And this is what he's going to do in revival even more so. He doesn't leave us there because he uses everything in those places of exposure to purchase of our religion and our commitment and our literal bonding with the law. In those places, we bond with the law because the law always agrees with my shame, but there's something wrong with me. And in that process, my brain gets rewired to the lie, and that lie becomes like the leaven that's in the bread of my whole heart. It works its way through everything. That's why Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Because leaven isn't just like I get one religious thought and I cast it down. Leaven permeates the entire lump. It corrupts the hard drive of my heart. That's what the leaven of law and Pharisaism does, is it corrupts the very hard drive of my heart so that my whole thinking changes. I believe the lie. I embrace the lie. I am married to the lie. In revival, Jesus separates the lie from the truth. Jesus takes everything that has been in us, and this is why we need this in Christendom more than anything. Can we please, Lord Jesus, will you set us free from the law and from our pharisaical religious spirit that is still trying to get it right? Because when your life goes to hell in a handbasket, the first thing you realize is, I can't get it right. There's nothing that I can do to change this. There's nothing that we do that changes anything in our scenario. And so many of us have been through the cauldron period. I know I'm talking to an audience who's been there. If I ask for a raise of hands right now, how many of you guys have had your life decimated at some point along the way? Of course, where the perfect storm comes it dismantles us. The beauty of Jesus is, He doesn't waste that. He doesn't waste that at all. He says, great, great, because I'm going to resurrect a son and a daughter who know who I am and who are so connected to my spirit. I'm going to raise them up. And when I resurrect them, they will literally be indestructible because they will believe the truth and they will believe in the God of the impossible and that will be their norm. That's why. Because when he redeems it, He separates the lie from the truth, the law from the spirit, and he takes everything that we were married to that was law and religion, and he purges us of it. Because religion didn't help, obeying the law didn't help, and usually in those places, we saw the religious response of the church to what was happening to us, and it furthered the wound. So we come out of those periods of those long winters with a real distaste for religion. And what it does is it sets us up to want the God of all creation. We want the real deal. We want him. We only want him. And so when we go through those places, that's why the redemption of Jesus is the restoration of the longing for only you. That's why we come out of that. Like the enemy is laughing his head off, right? Ha, ha, ha. We took them out. I want to tell you something. If you made it through that period of your life and you're still standing, you won. You won. Because the enemy didn't take you out. He wanted to. He levied everything in his arsenal, and he went for your internal. The enemy doesn't just want to destroy me outside. He goes for the heart. He goes for the thing that's in me because it's more powerful to tear a house down from the inside out. If you could tear a man down and a woman down on the inside, and you can wreck their thinking, and you can marry their shame to the lie that they already believe, and you could convince them that religion is the thing that is whatever, I got to keep the law, right? Then you've got them. Because religion is the antithesis of faith. Religion is the antithesis of believing God of the impossible. Religion is the antip- Religious is lawlessness, and it agrees with the law, and it agrees with sin, and it agrees with every bit of shame in me. So the enemy sees opportunity, and look how broken and fragmented we are. Watch. I'll change their brain. I'll, I'll hardwire their brain in such a way that the truth won't even permeate. And God looks at that and he laughs. He's like, you have no idea what you just did. You set my kid up to be a manifest son and daughter of God who walks in unprecedented and unparalleled power and wisdom, right? You build me, yes, you build me back with truth, power, mercy, and grace. Yes, anyway, that's it. He builds us back. And what we become is so much more than what we ever were or could have been. And because he uses those places of devastation and destruction as the seedbed for resurrection, the thing that is our greatest fall, the thing that is our greatest struggle, the thing that becomes the thing that is our biggest weakness, that's where he says, you thought this person would never speak again publicly? (laughs) Let me show you you thought you took their voice? Oh, no, I got you. That's what Jesus said. Oh, I got you, right? Because he knows who we are. And he knows that there is a book called destiny, a book of life that has a lot of chapters in it. And he knows that the chapter of the season of my devastation will be a blip on the radar. Because what he does in mercy, grace, and power, and overflow, and anointing, and mantling, will so much be so much greater, that when we look back on it, we'll look back and we'll see it as a dot on the radar, when at one time it was the thing that defined who we were. So the very evil that defined who we were now becomes a blip on the screen that we don't even remember. I remember, when I was into that place of descent, that, um, it was kind of weird. It was like, I remember when I was in the worst place with a lot of that, that I, I didn't recognize the person that I had become anymore. I, I looked back and I said, there was this man back here that was a man of faith, that was a man when I first got started you know, in ministry, et cetera. And so I realized that something had really shifted because that person was so unfamiliar to me. You know, when you take someone and they go from a passionate, on fire, crazy for Jesus person and they go through years of hell and the perfect storm from the enemy and they come out of that on the other end. I remember saying to my wife, I don't even remember that person that believed in healing, that believed in um, that God could do impossible things. That was a very interesting day when we looked at each other and like, I don't even know that person well that's the flip of what god's doing right now we're going to look back on that person and we're not going to recognize them because what he does in this rebuilding of who we are is when he resurrects us he resurrects us with a new place of passion a new place of truth and we are not even a remnant of the person that we were before We are becoming unrecognizable. We won't even remember those seasons because it'll be so radically different. And that's where I think when God marries this thing of truth with encounter in us, our brains get rewired, our hard drive of our heart gets sweeped, and he encrypts the new drive with the language of the spirit of heaven. And we become ones who can literally Stand in the place and believe for the impossible, move in his spirit, be the most connected to the spirit of heaven that we've ever been in any other time of our life. And that's why I said those seasons where the enemy thought, Aha, I got you, Jesus always knew who you were going to become and who I was going to become out of that. He knew what he was resurrecting out of the ashes. He knew that we would fly again. He knew all of that. And so, I just think it's really fun the way that that works when we actually have our brains rewired to hope. Our brains get rewired to faith. Our brains get rewired to the believing of the impossible, right? We literally become the new creation. And that is the seedbed for that work. The cauldron exposes two things what I believe about myself and how religious I've become and how far from faith I've wandered. That's what the cauldron exposes, but it's the mercy of God to expose a heart so that he can heal it and change it. And when he reconstructs, he reconstructs us in such a way that we are a shut. We don't even know that person over there anymore. So he flips the entire paradigm, whereas at one point in life, I never thought that I would be the person again who actually believed in the God of the impossible because of what happened, because of the perfect storm. And he flips it back around where that person becomes unfamiliar to us. And the thing that is familiar is living in the holy chaos and unfamiliar territory and life of the Holy Spirit and walking in un unprecedented power and anointing and being connected to what it means to be seated more than any other place in our life. So we go from the perfect storm and convergence brings us to our seat. And from that place, everything changes. All right, bless you guys. We'll be back tomorrow at 630 for our prayer. It'll work better tomorrow on the at tech part and I was at seven o'clock for my revival talk.